This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hey guys, it's John O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend and a co-host of the Real Blend podcast. We are bringing you another bonus episode of the show. Some great, great interviews that are lining up uh, that we want to get to you guys. And so we're going to be throwing out a couple of different bonus episodes, starting with this one where we have director Francis Lawrence joining the show to talk about the brand new Hunger Games film, The Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And I didn't realize until just recently the acronym for that is Hunger Games Boss. I think that's incredible. Uh, Francis obviously has a deep relationship with the series, having directed multiple uh, films in the franchise and is returning for this prequel story that doesn't have, I mean, it has connections to the existing Hunger Games films, but it's not like you're going to get Katniss Everdeen uh, or Jennifer Lawrence coming back. It's a whole slew of new characters. It's set in the uh, past, I believe, at the 10th Hunger Games. And so uh, Francis talks about returning to the series uh, a lot of the new uh, tricks that he's able to pull off with a brand new cast of characters and, of course, the power of uh, having Rachel Zegler um, as a main character in order to play with in the Hunger Games franchise. So we're really thrilled to have Francis join the show. This is a really great interview. You guys are going to love this one. Without further ado, here is Francis Lawrence on the Real Blend podcast talking about Hunger Games Boss. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, guys? How are you, man? Dude, Hi, Francis. so good to see you. Francis is my co-host, Sean. Um, hey. Our other co-host, uh, Jake, wasn't able to make it today because of a scheduling conflict, but uh, we're, we're uh, I, I happy talked to, to have him. You. I talked to him briefly yesterday. 
Oh, All good, right, good, but only good, but only good. like four minutes or whatever. You know, it's one of those ones. I've told you this before, but I want to bring this back to the conversation. Uh, and we're honored to have Francis Lawrence join our show, uh, talking all about the Hunger Games, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And um, I want to go back to Catching Fire real quick because Catching Fire was one of my favorite IMAX transitions I've ever seen in a movie theater. And we talk a lot about IMAX aspect ratios on this show. We just had Hoyda Van Hoydema on this week. Right about Oppenheimer and catching fire for people who aren't aware when, when Jennifer Lawrence's character is going into the games, we watch the aspect ratio change to the IMAX as we're in uh, the, the actual games itself. And it's brilliant. Um, one of the best narrative ways to use that format change. Um, and so I wanted to ask you to speak on that. And then now with this particular film, you also have an IMAX change here. Yeah. Like, can you talk a little bit about the narrative decision you made now and and maybe how you made it back then and how it affected your decisions here. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in Catching Fire, you know, we started talking about shooting um, IMAX. And for me, it just felt sort of organic that we would make the games uh, uh, the IMAX portion of the movie. And the stuff in the Capitol District 12 keep that um, widescreen. And, you know, then we were deciding, okay, how much are we going to shoot with the real IMAX cameras? That was the, the last film that I shot on film. And how much would we shoot 35 spherical with the blow up? And so we find that balance. And then it was thinking about, okay, well, how do we transition in? And it just felt like the most organic way was as Katniss is going up the elevator and entering the games, we could actually let it widen up as she's going up. And it was kind of perfect because it's like the screen's opening up, we're going in, we're revealing the games for the first time. It's kind of like we're with Katniss and that her world is Mm. completely changing, which is what I think makes it um sort of so visceral which is great um but it also just sort of seamlessly i think a lot of people didn't even realize it was kind of happening because it's dark it almost it's, like it's a dark, dark shot. in the beginning yeah and so you know the 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 matte lines are just sort of changing as it's starting to get brighter but then you know you get out into that sort of jungle environment and suddenly the you know the full screen was was filled to be fair, we're very focused on Jennifer Lawrence, who is giving an incredible performance in that moment. Yes, that, <laughs> right. that too. And the camera's also swirling around her. It's super, yeah. super close because we're trying to fake like we can actually fit a Steadicam operator in that little tube that she's going up. <laughs> so we're very, very close and spinning around and the light is changing. And yeah, and it's and it's opening up as she gets up there. So as a quick follow up, you mentioned that was film. So that was 65 millimeter IMAX film. This is like the same type of cameras that Nolan was using on the Dark Knight and things like that. And then fast forward to here, you're shooting digitally. How does the IMAX aspect ratio shift work in terms of this film, uh, in terms of how you wanted to make it jump to the 190? So we chose we sort of, you know, because uh, the, the, the games are part of it. We're shooting digitally and we're using the large format aspect ratio. So there was a show that I did um, called C for Apple. And I fell in love with the 65 mil large aspect uh, digital sensor, partly because it gives you um, a different feel. I mean, it's like using an IMAX camera and large format photography where you have a shallower depth of field. You can use wider lenses that don't distort Mm -hmm. I really like wider lenses in general up close to people. Um, but if you're shooting spherical or, you know, even anamorphic and you get too wide and too close, it starts to distort people's faces. Mm. This doesn't ha- it doesn't happen in the same way with with these lenses in large format. Um, but it also just allowed us because we were shooting everything large format 
to sort of mat in when we want to stay small or open uh. up and go for the full IMAX aspect ratio whenever we needed to. And so really it was about choosing the sequences that we were going to go big and making sure that the VFX team was finishing the top and bottom and all those <laughs> those sequences. Right. Um, as as we're having this conversation, Francis, we were just talking earlier about uh, Five Nights at Freddy's getting off to a huge start at the box office, even though it's available and streaming, which proves that people want to go out to the theaters uh, to support films. But specifically that film holding on to its PG-13 rating uh, to appeal to kids who, you know, kind of grew up on that. Obviously, you have to hold on to your PG-13 rating in order to appeal to your audience. And Jake was telling me. Uh, that he found out from you yesterday that every Hunger Games you worked on had received an R rating until you had to trim it back. Uh, Correct. So I want to find out what you had to trim back in this one in particular to get that coveted rating. I mean, you know, we always know, we always know that we're going to be aiming for the PG-13 because you don't want to alienate the kind of target audience of of the books. So we're trying to best follow those rules. The trickiest thing and the thing that, like, I got screwed on and Constantine, because we followed all the rules for PG-13, but we got an R, is the gray zone is intensity, right? Okay. And so oh, you can hold back on blood and not see gore and not have overt sexuality or nudity or anything sayings and certain, you know, bad words, all that kind of stuff. You can follow all that, but if the MPAA deems certain things too intense— you have to start to whittle away. One of the big, and this is one of the strangest ones, one of the biggest arguments I had with the MPAA that we were going back and forth on many, many, many times was in the last Mockingjay movie, there's a sequence where Katniss and Gale are walking through this sort of stream of refugees going to the palace, gunfire erupts, and there's been a little girl that was with her mother on the mother's shoulder, and Katniss hears the little girl screaming, mama, mama, mama. She's crying and the mother is dead. There's no blood. You never saw the mother get shot. It's just right. a little girl screaming and crying. And they deemed it too intense. And so hmm. you would not think a little girl crying for their mother would get you into an R rating. But it came right. down to this one shot and we would just take out six frames, send it back. Nope, still too much. <laughs> six frames, send it back. Nope, still too much. And it came down to a shot of a little girl crying because it's it's about intensity. And so that's mm. always the thing we're battling. And so in this, because the games are so rudimentary, mm-hmm. um, it grounds the violence in a way that we didn't have in the other movies. You know, when you look at Catching Fire, there's a very fantastical element to much of the games. And that makes it more palatable. Whereas here, the kids killing kids feels much more realistic because they're yeah. just in a dirty, dusty, you know, walled-in arena. Right. Um, mm. And so that was something that was was tricky. And we had to just kind of pull back on, you know, if somebody gets thrown off a crossbeam and lands, like, can you cut out a little sooner? Do you not hold on quite as long? Do you right, add a right. little dust to cover up some of the impact? you reduce the sound of the impact and the crunching of bones you know it's like all that kind of nuanced stuff have you gotten better at predicting it and yeah i actually and i will say that i thought we were going to have more issues than we did on this one there are certain things (laughs) that we do in this movie that i thought for sure the mpaa would have issues with and they had no notes on this is what I Go wanted ahead. to follow up on, and because it's interesting about the six frames things. One of my favorite MPA stories of all time. I think it was the uh, 
It was the guys who did South Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I think they submitted a, a more disturbing moment from Team America than they wanted to because they <laughs> knew that they wanted to get it down to a certain part. So they they gave it a more extreme um, push initially to make them think that they were taking it out, which I thought was really interesting. But in terms of your violence. I do that too, by well, the way. Do you? A hundred percent. Can you give an example? Because yeah, this is a I really mean, interesting uh, thing. Yeah, a lot of what we'll do is like occasionally, like I know we try not to use a lot of blood, but we will add blood knowing we're going to have to take it out. Right. We'll do stuff where like somebody uh. will fall in a movie and hit their head and we'll put the most disgusting, harsh, loud sound in so that we know that when we get the first batch of notes, is we'll like take the blood out of that thing, bring the volume down, take the crunch out. <laughs> Yeah. You know, when somebody gets so, hit, like the juicy sound of the person getting hit will take the juiciness out. You know, Francis is like, get me two cantaloupes and a hammer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. I'm going to work. Yeah. But that, that's kind of what I want to follow up on. I, I was paying attention. I mean, I'm immersed in the story, but I was fascinated at the violence in this film because you're 100 percent right. It, it, it does feel more brutal than the earlier films because of the rudimentary aspect of the and there's a scene where like that that a glass goes into someone's neck or like there's there's some pretty violent or I was even surprised that you could take weapons out of someone's body the yeah. way you do in the film and so are there angles that you have to hit to know that okay th we can show the weapon coming out of the person or the glass going in the person like how do you what's your relationship with the director of photography in those moments of angles? Um, it, I mean, mostly. So, you know, when we were doing, let's say, the glass bottle that goes in the neck, um, part of it was the sort of choreography of the way to make it happen is, you know, she grabs her by the hair and she smashes her against the bars and breaks the bottle and jams it in. It's actually written in the book that I think she uses a knife and slits her throat. And I thought, oh. A... It would be more unexpected if it was like a bottle of pop that she's teasing her with that you then smash it and jab it. So it's more surprising. But also the choreography allowed the actual insertion of the bottle into the neck to be covered. That's the scene where mm. we added the blood that I knew we would have to take out. So <laughs> I knew we visually, <laughs> yeah, when she was on the ground and and Corio saying, it's OK, it's OK, I'll get help, I'll get help. There was blood sort of seeping up through his fingers um, and there was also grosser sounds of her sort of choking and, and, you know, gurgling blood and all that kind of stuff. And so yeah. we knew we would take that stuff out. But I also know anytime we do something like that, I have in my head options so that if the, the actual stab it becomes a moment that I know I can cut to Tom or cut to Rachel Mm. on the action so you sort of know what's happened but you can just you know cut away a little sooner and it's the same with you know pulling a weapon out you can always like imply the weapon's about to come out and then cut away and hear the sound if need mm. be i i think this is so fascinating i've always wanted to talk to a director about these decisions anyways continue on sean um francis i just want to know how this one feels in terms of if it's any different that there's maybe a little bit of less pressure, because when you were working in the franchise the last time through, there were other adaptations announced. You know, we knew that there was going to be a continuation of it. This one, it feels like while there isn't another you know book to adapt right after it, it feels like you could continue to tell the story if you want to. But does it does it feel a little more freeing? Does it feel a little bit more lean that you're going through it into, into this time? Um, 
I mean, it's freeing in the sense that it like it's like works as a standalone, right? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that you could come into this and sort of enjoy the movie without really knowing the other stories. Um, it's freeing in the sense that for fans of the movies to go back and sort of see the origins of things and um, and learn things about the world and about the characters. So you go back and, and you'd almost view the mo- other movies differently. That's exciting. The pressure is, you know, especially when we started this, is just wondering, like, is there still an appetite for The Hunger Games? Um, sure. And is there an appetite for The Hunger Games without Katniss? Uh, and, you know, but the truth is, is I love being a part of the world and working with Suzanne and Nina. And I just fell in love with the story and love the, uh, you know, villain origin stories and mm-hmm. love the idea of doing sort of a period piece to the other movies. Um, and so it, uh, you know, just offered much more opportunity for new world building. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was just exciting. And that's kind of all I can really go on. You know, I can't yeah. mm-hmm. try to second guess like how successful something's going to be. I just sure. have to love yeah. it. Love it. I mean, yeah. I don't know why the sequel wouldn't be called Appetite for Destruction, considering yeah. it's The Hunger Games. I feel like that'd be like a little get Guns and Roses on that soundtrack. Yeah. Someone you know, may have a someone may have a lawsuit on their hands. <laughs> you know, Francis, uh, I, I want to talk to you about the emotional way I go on a journey when I watch this movie because what's interesting about a film like this is we already know where Snow ends up, right? And we already know the person that he becomes and is not a great individual or great human being. So what's fascinating to me is I'm watching this movie and I'm liking the character obviously very early on and even when he has moments of like extreme anger or there's things that maybe hint to the fact that he's liking this or, or he's finding the power in this, you still kind of go, oh, maybe he won't actually go to the dark side, essentially. Um, and I find that interesting as an audience member because I already know he does. But for some reason, I feel like I can will it not to happen if I watch the film close enough. And that's, to me, the beauty of a filmmaker like yourself, because you put me in a world and you immerse me and I care about these people. But as a filmmaker, where is that balance for you when you're dealing with that performance? Because at the end of the day, he has to give us a push pull where we care. And he's obviously caring for Rachel's character and that whole journey. Um, But I won't give anything away. But that's a really fine line you have to toe, I would imagine. It is, yeah. And I mean, look, some of it is certainly performance, but a lot of that is the adaptation, right? Because we had to create um, a character that everybody knows where he ends up. We have to create a character that the audience can get behind. You want the audience rooting for him, empathizing with him. That was the key. The real trick Right. Beyond that, getting people behind him is to still seed in the ambition, the greed, the darkness, so that when he turns, and I think everybody's kind of waiting for it, even if you're hoping maybe not, maybe not, right? And I do find it very satisfying when he does, Mm. is that you want that to be truthful and honest and authentic and believable because you've seen those seeds all the way, all the way through. He has mm-hmm. to earn. He has to earn that arc, and he does. And that's that. that when I'm watching the film. I'm like, how is Francis going to land this? Like, how is he going to? Like, how are we going to eventually get to a part where I can believe he can be that guy? And you do. It's just a really, it's a really tough balancing act, I think, as a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny. One of one of my favorite sequences in the movie, without blowing too much, it's 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 at the end in the forest where you actually really emotionally see him become the guy. And he just does such an amazing job in his performance there. And I love sequences where you can tell that kind of emotional story with very, very little dialogue um, and just the visuals and Tom's performance. But what's Mm. funny is Tom and I talked a lot about 
um, the end of Elizabeth, the movie with Kate Blanchett. Yes. And there's just this great moment near the end, and it's this poor young woman who just wanted to love and to be loved and realized she'll never have it again and can no longer trust. And she's looking up at the statue of the Virgin Mary and decides that she's going to she's gonna marry England, and she becomes this person. And, and you just see the person that you like kind of die. Oh, and wow. so I kept using that as the reference for Tom for, for oh, the wow. end of this movie. And I just think he did a fantastic job. Oh, Tom is incredible. What a face. What a, what a performance. And the way you shoot up at him is really cool. But yeah, so. So um, before we run out of time, you mentioned uh, being curious about if there's an appetite for this uh, type of story, a Hunger Games story without Katniss. Essentially, you're hanging your hat on, on Rachel Zegler and being able to uh, tell a different story through her. Um, I want to know the different type of energy that she brought as a performer. And was there ever any uh, conversations about like, do not try to mirror, you know, Jennifer Lawrence at all. Make sure you're making it your own thing. And if so, almost avoid some of the things that Jennifer Lawrence might have done. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the the the, the primary thing was, and the the biggest difference with the movies is the those were Jen's movies. This one's actually Tom's movie, and I think that yeah. the sort of comparisons are because you know, female tribute from twelve and female tribute from twelve. You know, really, the only two sort of shared characteristics of the two characters are they're both smart and they're both survivors, and it's just the mm-hmm. way they go about it is very very different. You know, Katniss is introspective and introvert, a hunter quiet, you know, a thinker. Lucy Gray is a thinker, but she's charismatic. She's a performer. She's an extrovert. She charms people. She manipulates people. Um, she flirts with people. Uh, you know, it's it's a very, very different. So there was never a worry that we were going to be seeing her try to do anything that Katniss would do. It's like mm-hmm. almost her approach to almost any situation would be the exact opposite of what Katniss would probably do. Right. That's kind of refreshing. In our last minute, I, I mean, we, this this show is created by film fans. My favorite movie of yours has always been Constantine. I just think that movie is is incredible, and it's it's one of my favorite Keanu Reeves films as well. And I, and I just there's always talk about a sequel and possibilities of what's going to happen with that. Have you kept in touch with Keanu Reeves over the years? Do you guys go back and forth on ideas? Because that's that film is just it's one of my it's my favorite movie you've made. It's an awesome, awesome film. And, and I'm glad you kept the it got the R rating because it deserved it. That film needed an R rating. And I'm just wondering, like, where we're at with that. Like, how do you feel about that film in your body? Of work? Um, well, I'm you know, it's it's sort of gained love over the years. I will say when I made it in 2003 and it came out in 2005, it was not received as well as I think it's received now um and that's great i would love to make the sequel keanu would love to make the sequel uh keanu and akiva and i have been batting ideas around it took a long time and there were a lot of hurdles to sort of you know climb to get control of the character again Mm because you know with all the changes at dc and whoever's had control of the vertigo characters it's been kind of a mess we now have control of the character we are like actively working on ideas. We really want to make it. Um, but with the rating, this one will be a real rated R version. The other <laughs> one is like the fake rated R version. So when we do it, it'll be the real rated R Constantine sequel. Dude, and it's go, great that Keanu yeah. is ageless. Yes, so exactly. You could, you could go 10 more years and it'll probably look yeah, exactly the same. Exactly. No, hopefully it won't <laughs> take that long now. Yeah. Well, Francis, we want to say thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you you are one of our favorite filmmakers, and it's an honor to have you on our show. I've known you, talked to you for many years now, and yeah. uh, 
You've always been the same awesome person to interview, and it's just a delight to talk oh, filmmaking thanks, with you. You too, so. man. It's still fun talking to you. We want to thank Francis Lawrence for coming on the show and talking about Hunger Games, our good friends at Lionsgate as well, too, for setting that up. Uh, you will be able to get our full review of the Hunger Games, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, on the main episode. And in addition to that uh, episode dropping, all the uh, cool information is going to be part of that. As you guys might have realized, I'm not in my traditional office. I'm in a new space. Um, this is a hotel room in Paris, France, and I'm here with the boys. Uh, and we are here for Napoleon, and we're going to be getting some really great interviews coming up for that movie uh, soon. So stay tuned to the next week's uh, or this up- upcoming episode where you'll get more details about our Paris trip, the interviews we're getting for it, and um, I think early thoughts on Napoleon. We'll see how it goes. Hit like and subscribe. Meet us back here next time we have a new video on the, on the Ribland YouTube page. Tell a friend to follow us as well, too. Word of mouth grows the show. We appreciate the Blender family so much. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.